1927, the estimated population of the world was around 2 billion people. The UN predicts that our world's population will finally reach 8 billion people by 2024, a massive four-fold increase in less than 100 years. As the space in our cities, apartments and streets shrink to compensate for this staggering expansion of humanity, inevitably questions arise about our environment's ability to sustain our energy-hungry existence. But just as our planet provides the resources for each individual to grow and power their own internal engine, could there be a way to harness the significant energy created by all humans on a daily basis? Welcome to Racing Green, the podcast that explores the ideas, innovations, and influences making waves in the journey towards a sustainable future for our planet. In each episode, we investigate the new challenges, ingenious solutions, and the undiscovered opportunities that lie at the heart of our rapidly changing world. We aim to accelerate a new era founded on optimism and impactful collective responsibility. Today, we meet with Lawrence Kemble Cook, founder and CEO of PaveGen, a new radical kinetic technology company looking to bridge the energy gap of our accelerating global population and reframe the meaning of people power. Welcome. Hey, excited to be here today. I wonder if you give us a bit of background on PaveGen. What is PaveGen? Sure, yes. Yeah. So um, PaveGen is a floor that generates energy and data from your footsteps. So whenever you walk on the floor, it converts the weight of your footstep into electrical power. So the technology is really simple. As long as people are moving, it uses that kinetic energy um, and you can store the energy in batteries. You can use it to power lights instantly. Um, and it's something that we're really working on with cities and large developers around the world to make cities better places to, to live. Um, and I've really been fascinated by this area because I, I believe, honestly, that you know, cities are not a fun place to live. Cities have been designed for money. They've been designed to make people rich. They've been designed for rental yield and to, to make expensive offices, to make lots of revenue for developers. But people aren't really thinking about the most important people in a city. It's not, it's not the banks, it's not the rich developers. It's the people that live in it. It's the communities. It's the families. It's the groups of friends. It's the kids at school. It's all those things. And I'm really fascinated how to make cities a better place. And we believe that through collaborating together and people taking part in generating energy that powers a city, we can connect people to their communities and their cities a lot better. Um, and I always think of this analogy of uh, imagine an office in 2030, say. You know, you can imagine that you walk into this office, it will scan your retina and it will know it's you. And then it will, it will scan your blood vessels and it will know your blood pressure and it will know exactly who you are and how stressed you are on that day. It will analyze the gates, so the distance between your steps, and it will tell you if you have any medical ailments. The gates will open automatically, the lift will open, and you'll be scanned and have a medical check and then yep, you'll go to your desk. Now, that, that is the idea of the future that a lot of people are talking about. 
But I'm like, no, forget that. that that's not going to make me happy. That's Big Brother. I hate that idea. I want to walk through an office and I want to smell the flowers. I want to see greenery. I want to feel like I'm in a jungle, a forest, an urban oasis, because that will make me a lot happier. And on that idea, you know, why not when you walk, power the irrigation for the forest, maybe through people walking. So we really believe you've got to make cities about people and what makes them happy. And I guess that's the very mission that we're on is about sustainability, happiness, wellness, um, and, and ultimately people having fun. And that's really led us to our, our mission, which is we, we call, we've got a special name for it. It's not the, the Internet of things. It's, it's the Internet of beings. So it's about humans doing something physical, like walking, having fun and having a digital component to it. So we think it's about people first. And PaveGen, we think, sits at the front of this revolution in urban environments. Wow. So, so how did the idea of PaveGen come about? So I'm an industrial design engineer, and I guess at school I was one of the, the first generations where, where they were banging the drum about climate change really hard. You know, it was ozone layer, this, and climate change, that. And I really became, like, really aware of it. And I, I, I think I hated geography until sustainability came into the equation. And I started thinking, hold on, this is really important. And I think the definition of sustainability is, is looking after the world for future generations. And I, I've always found that really uh, intriguing. So I was into geography. I was also into design. And I started just getting really focusing into this sustainable design idea. The idea is that a designer is more powerful than mercenaries and soldiers because if a, if a designer makes a decision on a product where millions of components are made, that decision will have huge effects. So from a safety standpoint, imagine a designer does the controls for an air conditioning device on a car and makes it three inches further away from the driver. Now, that will cause maybe 20 deaths over the, the duration of the car's production because people are distracted. Now, if they did it cleverly, they'd save those lives. And then if you think about the environment, you know, imagine the impact of all of those iPhones out there. And if we use more sustainable materials, it would make a huge difference to the carbon footprint of the world. And so I think the designers are really powerful. And with that in mind, I started my, my kind of journey, if you like, by doing an internship at E.ON. So I'm working at E.ON, which at the time was one of the largest energy companies in Europe. And they bought me in, they go, Lawrence, we want you to design us the future of street lighting. So we want you to make us some street lights that generate energy from the sun and from the wind. So off I went trying to find a solution for energy in cities. And what I realized is solar doesn't work in urban environments because solar works when you're in a field, out in the countryside, in a desert, maybe on a rooftop, but it's not that easy to get to rooftops of big tower blocks and cities. So in a way, I found out that it doesn't work. So hanging my head in shame, I'd, I'd failed to find a solution um, for that. So then I thought, well, what about wind? And I realized, well, look, there's not very good wind in cities because ultimately, Wind is, is great if you're out in the North Sea, but in cities, you don't get great air because it's broken up by all the buildings. So they fired me from Eon because I failed. So what did you do next? So hanging my head in shame, I, I left the company. I was really upset. I was depressed. I was not happy with what I'd done. 
I returned to uni and like most students, you know, I, I sat in my bedroom for you know, working 20 hours a day thinking about what I could do to alleviate this problem. I was deeply depressed and I thought, okay, well, look, solar doesn't work, um, wind doesn't work. What about people power? So I thought, yes, we can use the energy of people. My first idea was let's build a bus stop that when you kicked it, the bus stop would generate power. So you could use the energy of all the young people or, or old people. But uh, coming from London myself, I'd seen the energy of, of, of children, you know, born and bred in Brixton, um, thinking, you know, imagine what you could do with all, all the energy of all the young people. And then I thought, OK, well, you can kick it. But what about if you make it so you jump on it and it's like a bell at a fairground where you you hit the hammer and the bell, you know, the, the weight goes up and, and hits the bell and lights up. And I thought, well, hold on, that's cool. But what about I just make a floor? that will generate energy from footsteps. And it's really simple. So I went away and I built my first prototype and that took me around nine hours. I built this prototype in the workshop um, of Loughborough University. I came out with a lump of wood held together with bits of duct tape, a very basic generator within it, and it lit up a small light. And I was like, this is really cool. And I was, I was fascinated by it. So then I carried on building it at university. Um, and I won a competition with the Royal Society of Arts, which is like a, a big design institution in the UK. And with that money, I think I won £5,000 for a, a design I did. Um, I started spending that on production of my prototype because £5,000 as a student was, was like millions now of what we do. And um, I, I made some of the parts metal. I slowly changed it. I graduated. I spent five years in my bedroom doing it on the side in Brixton. So I was, I was experimenting with it. I was trying to make it more efficient. Um, and ultimately, it's one of the harshest environments known to man in the ground. So you've got vandalism. You've got water. You've got this thing called differential expansion rate. So when the ground gets hot, different materials expand at different temperatures and it can crack things if you, if you don't get the material right. And so it was an immensely challenging environment. So I built my first prototype. I'd been refining it for five years. And I went to venture capitalists. They said, forget it, Lawrence. It will never work. Um, the government had a high technology um, line. And they, they contacted me and they said, Lawrence, we've, we've looked at it in this high technology line. And we think that it's never going to work. Give up. Okay. So And then my university tried to steal the idea off of me. So there I am. Everyone said no. Five long years of, of building this thing. I thought, look, screw this. I've got to take matters into my own hand. I broke into the South Bank um, in, in London's River Thames, and I installed this illegally at two in the morning. So me and my friend, we, we broke in. We had um, sort of a bag of um, cement. Um, we had a bucket, a lot of water, spades, pickaxes, um, which is fairly suspicious thinking back on it, walking through London. Um, a couple of lads um, at 2 a.m. walking across. And so we dug this hole. We put the paging in the grounds. We're sitting there at 4 a.m. mixing the concrete, looking around, making sure no one's watching us. And we plugged in some lights. So when you walked on the tile, some little lights would come on. No one spotted us. We took some pictures when the sunlight came up. And with those pictures, I put them on my website. I put this bold headline, Future of Energy is here. And it had my mobile number on it because I didn't know how to do anything else. And we had no money as a company. I got a phone call from Westfield um, and they said, Lawrence, did you do an installation last night? I said, yes, I did. They said, did it work? I said, yes, it did. They, they didn't ask me, was it illegal? So I didn't lie. And they said, we'd like to buy one. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, you want to buy one? Wow. And um, they said, how much? And I'm sitting there going, I have no idea. I just I just built this prototype. So then I, I put my finger in the air and I think, and I think I was looking at my housemate at the time who was kind of helping me a little bit. 
And I was like, how much do I charge? Oh my God. And I just said, I just said, it. I went 200,000 pounds confidently. And um, they were like, okay. And they paid me the next day. So suddenly I went from this like weird bloke in a flat in London, experimenting with this, this wooden flooring tile. It didn't really work. Everyone told it wouldn't work. He was a failure. Uh, and I got this 200,000 pounds. And I was like, wow. So I, I hired a team of electronic engineers. The scariest moment for me was walking into the, my new office and being called a managing director. And really, I was just like a, a weird engineer geek bloke who was building stuff. One of our first major projects was in Brazil. And this was in uh, Rio de Janeiro. And it really came about because Shell said, look, Lawrence, you've won uh, Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And we want to do a billboard saying how great you are. And I was like, look, that's, an, that's not authentic. That's not real. No one's going to care. Let's use the billboard money to do something really cool. And they're like, okay, come up, come up with some ideas. So I came up with this idea. And we were like, look, why don't we go to find a football pitch and use the energy of people playing sport to turn the lights on? Conversations went further and basically got some funding to go to these crazy favelas in Brazil and see if anyone would let us in. So we went to 24 favelas. Uh, if you're in a favela, they're sometimes governed by local communities and not by the police. They're a very dangerous place to be. But what happened was we found this favela called the Moro da Manera favela in Catatumbi in Rio. And it's an amazingly beautiful environment, but it, it's, a very, it's a very tough environment to live in. So it's very poor and you know, there's lots of poverty everywhere and, and very poor quality of life. But people are amazing. And anyway, we went there. They agreed to let us dig up their soccer pitch. And we started digging and we had a team of people from PaveGen. And the idea was the energy from people playing sport would power the floodlights. We also integrated it with some solar panels because it is very, very hot in Rio. And we found a small roof site to um, put that um, on next next to the site. And um, we then started to work. So what was funny is I first went into the site and I, I ran up the stairs and took some pictures I then got three death threats back from the local community saying, don't run in here taking pictures without our permission. So I learned, I learned the hard way. And then we carried on working on it and we started working with kids and getting them to help us doing it and, and really started to inspire them. And what was interesting is one day there was a whole group of the local gangsters um, leaning by the fence and, and they were making kind of some aggressive grunting noises and so forth. And I went over to them and said, look, hi, guys, is everything OK? And basically they were all looking at a phone. I was like, OK, what are, what are you looking at? And they were they were looking at. Um, a Portuguese translation of a TED talk that I'd given um, the year previously. And so they suddenly understood what we were doing in their community. And they really welcomed us with open arms and they saw their kids playing on it. And so after, say, a month, we'd installed this pitch. And what was amazing is that, one, we powered lights so they could pay for sport whenever they want. And the idea was you know, the power of sport would turn the lights on and keep them on. But then we started to realize that we'd actually inspired the kids to think differently about engineering and science, because most of the kids in this community had looked at the idea of, you know, they would be, they, they all dreamed of being a footballer. And we all know that, that that was very unlikely they would be an international soccer star. Um, and they, they, they didn't really have realistic views of, of what they would progress to. But then they all suddenly realized what we were doing and that they could be a scientist. They could be an engineer. They could work harder at school and, and be really inspired to do this for a career. So we ended up inspiring this whole generation of children there. This football tournament is taking place in one of Rio de Janeiro's favelas, or slums. The players that most Brazilians are football crazy. We launched it with Pele, the international Brazilian soccer star. Um, so Pele was a brand ambassador. 
And you know, he he cried during the press conference we gave when we launched it. So it was an amazing moment. Um, I think we got 97 camera crews turned up. That runs to this day, and it was a really powerful project that shows that energy can can come from the sun, from the wind, but also from you. You are that power source. So I think that's one of our like first most like moving projects. We've raised around nine million in capital from a series of different investors, and we've been finding different ways to take our product to market. So when you've got a new technology, it's really hard to find, we call it this, this idea of a minimum viable product. So you've got to find a way to sell it. Now, if I sold a million paved gents on day one, there's a good chance they'd break and it would cost the company so much money, we would we, we'd go bust. So I had to find a way to sustainably like make money, but also to learn more about the product at the same time. So initially we used it for events. So I thought, well, hold on. I don't know if paved is going to last for 10 years, but I do know it'll last for a few days. So let's use it at events and make money from the event and then use that money to fund the R&D to make the product better. And also to use that money to grow our brand and, and prove to investors that we're the real deal. So off we went with Rob DeBank to um, festival, a big festival in the Isle of Wight, and made this LED dance wall that came on when you dance and charged your phone. And uh, it was really powerful, like kids were crying when their parents took them away from it. People were jumping on it the whole time and it was a really cool experience. Then we, we did it at the Paris Marathon. So we covered the Champs-Élysées in Paris with our tiles and sent 37,000 runners over it. And that was really powerful. It's got people generating energy and we donated energy to local schools with Schneider Electric. And I guess since then, and we're really fascinated around retail and, and how people move in shopping areas. Um, smart cities, the idea that cities that are connected together and energy efficient and are really happy places for people to live, how we can use the energy of people to improve that. Transport, so we go into train stations and airport environments and, and also education. So now we, we have paved in Abu Dhabi airport. Um, and we use the energy from people walking to power lights. And then going into, say, like smart cities, we've, we've built a running track in Hong Kong. And in this building on the fourth floor, they have a running track. So if you're in the office, you can just go down a couple of floors and go on a run. Um, you don't run on the streets in Hong Kong, really. It's too hot and it's really densely packed in. So this running track's perfect. But this running track's different. When you run on the track, it powers the lights in the building. So we've got some really great use cases that also include like outside the White House in Washington, D.C., um, where we use the energy from 10,000 people a day. We store the energy from those people, and with that energy, we power all the lights in the local area surrounding it. Um, so we've got you know, over 250 installations in, in 36 countries. Um, and I guess now we're, we're really sitting here as like a vertically integrated industrial enterprise because we, we design, uh, we research, uh, we manufacture, we install, we monitor, and, and I, I guess eventually we'll decommission the sites um, at some point too. So yeah, it's been an exciting journey and, and really looking forward now to many, many more projects around the world. I'd love to understand a little bit of the, the real basics here. How much power can you generate from, say, one person's constantly walking? What could you power with, with one person? Then what could you power with 100 people, etc.? Yeah, so um, the energy produced is around two to four watts of energy per footstep. Now, that's for the duration of your step. So that typically lasts two to three seconds. So one person walking will continuously charge an iPhone. When they walk, it charges. When they stop walking, it won't charge. So we need people to give us the power. 
And then if you scale it up and you have 100 people walking, that's between 200 and 400 watts of continuous power. Now, the average street light, say, is, is using around 30 watts of energy. So that means if you have 15 people walking, you can power that street light continuously. But then just imagine if you're, if you're storing the energy on Oxford Street, and you've got over 100,000 people a day walking, it's quite easy to do the math that says, well, look, each person is going to make at least 2,000 steps on Oxford Street. I know that you know if I go shopping in, in central London, I easily hit my 10,000 step quota a day. And then the energy could be used to power the lights continuously. So we need high footfall environments. You need people moving for 18 hours a day to make it viable. And ultimately, we're not trying to power the entire world because the best way to power the entire world is to put a huge solar farm in the Sahara Desert and other deserts around the world, and then to send the energy back to cities. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to produce energy where and when it's needed. And we're trying to be part of this energy mix, the future. And we're also engaging people. People take part in it. Because climate change isn't just about putting huge solar arrays in the desert that no one sees. It's about making sure that everyone changes their lifestyle to adopt greener, more sustainable futures. And that's really what we're all about. You know, what kind of vision could you see for PaveGen in, in a city like London? Um, obviously, I love London. I'm born and bred here. But we, you do not see cranes on the horizon like you do in Asian cities and in the Middle East and in some parts of North America where they're literally building whole cities from scratch. So I think London is really good for us because there is this vision to make it a, a kind of testbed for smart city technology by Sadiq Khan and his team. Um, and there is like a really great position here to prototype and test things that can be launched around the world as well. So like everyone knows Oxford Street. It's one of the premier uh, shopping destinations in the world. Um, and so I think it's really good for like testing and launching. Um, we've just done our first train station um, for network rail um, in Leighton Buzzard. So one of the main commuter spots into, into London. And that's really serving as a testbed before we move into wider rail systems around the world. So yeah, being honest, there's not that much building going on here compared to other cities, but everyone, you know, looks to London as a world leader in this space. So we're we're in a really lucky place to be to be launching it. So what are the barriers to implementing your technology? Yeah, I think with any new technology, it's always there's lots of hurdles to overcome, which include, you know, it's expensive. I hand make it in London because I'm trying to be sustainable, but we need to really in, in industrialize our production. Uh, we need to use more recycled materials, but no one, none of the big manufacturers who have large volumes of recycled material will deal with you unless you make like production runs of 5 million units. So we need to scale up to bring the price down. Um, we need to raise investment. So find large investors will come on board and, and support our vision. Um, and obviously, we need to make sure we've got the right proposition and, and revenue numbers for the, the investors to come on board and support what we're doing. Um, and ultimately, we're inventing a new product category. Uh, the category is energy from walking. Um, and it's not something people have thought about. So we're, we're kind of on this crusade to change the way people look at energy and speak to building owners, you know, occupiers, developers, councils, mayors, and get them all on board in it. So that's definitely something that is, is a big part of what we're trying to do is, is change the way people look at energy as well. What other technologies, what other sort of areas of clean tech are you fascinated by? Yeah, I think that we're seeing, we're definitely seeing like a revolution in this space. Look, when I started, um, sustainability is a dirty word. And in 2009, no one cared about this. Okay, so you know, then it was falling on deaf ears. Now it's definitely an area of huge interest for the world. And sustainability directors used to be kept in the basement um, and no one wanted to hear them. 
But now, you know, they're on boards and they're in leadership positions and it's been taken much more seriously. So that, that's really good for it. I think we're seeing revolution. Um, I'm really interested in new radical energy production techniques. So the biggest challenge with things like renewables is how do you store the energy? Now, batteries are awful, come from Bolivia, lithium, we, we, we're, everyone's aware of that. But these guys are just compressing air with the energy from a solar panel. And they have a huge, you know, 50 meter high um, cylinder that will absorb all the air and it gets cold when you compress it and it turns into a liquid. So all day long, the air is sucked in, compressed, goes into this massive silo. And then at nighttime, when they need the energy, they release the air and then that air powers a turbine that generates energy. It's so simple, it's beautiful. And think of uh, industrial sites and how you could use them. So I love, I love that idea. And the next one is any hill can generate energy. Now, I know that sounds weird, but these guys are building a train tracks that go up hills. And what happens is when the sun energy shines, the trains pick up concrete blocks from the bottom of the hill and slowly take the concrete blocks to the top of the hill. And all day long, they take up these thousand blocks from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. And then at nighttime, when they need the energy, they get the concrete blocks from the top of the hill, it powers the generator on board the little train, and then it's used to power local areas. Now that's simple, it's pretty low cost, and it's as durable as a train is, which is incredibly durable and a proven technology. So I think we're seeing like investment going into these kind of well, seem quite basic, but we know it works. Like you don't need to, you know, it's not, it's not completely brand new technology like like space travel was, you know, 50 years ago. It's kind of simple, but it, it kind of works and it's proven. So I'm really interested by these like macro energy solutions that all they need is a hill and an air compressor and off you go. So I think those things are really inspiring me at the moment as, a, as large scale energy storage solutions out there. Can you see yourself or your business expanding from just footsteps to other areas of generating energy kinetically? Yeah, I think if you look at where we are today, we've really optimized this kinetic energy solution for pedestrian movement. Um, think about where else you could use it. Cars, roads, trucks. There's many opportunities to harvest that energy. And so you know, we're fascinated by the idea of, of generating energy by vehicles. We want to make sure we make a product that works. So we're, we are thinking a lot about it and making sure we're learning about the product before we do that. And I think that you know, it, you, we don't want to cover every single road in kinetic speed bumps. We want to put it in areas where cars are slowing down anyway, because that's free energy, that's regenerative braking. So I think if you use it in the right place, it could be really interesting. And, and ultimately, we've got a rich patent family of, of technologies that could be used anywhere in, where there's something moving, like conveyor belts and factories. And imagine horse racing tracks or loads of places. Cows could jump on it. Who knows? So there's many ideas of where you can use the kinetic energy of things uh, moving. And that's, that's certainly something we're thinking of as a business. What are the things we're going to see from PaveGen in the next 5, 10, 15 years? For us at the moment, is like we've proven a product in all our different markets, but we're now thinking more about people. So one thing we're, we're pushing out at the moment is we're rewarding people for their footsteps. So we know that when you walk on the floor and it generates energy, some people care. Probably people listening to this podcast care, but most people don't care. So what we're doing is we're rewarding the people that don't care with rewards on their phone that include discounts at local retailers that may include financial like money for their footsteps so we're paying them to walk and then also unique experiences and unlocking different experiences with brands so the idea is you walk into a mall you have a light but you also get 
um, 50p of coffee because you generated lots of footsteps. And that all works for our new mobile platform called Paving Go. And so we think it will really help us accelerate behavior change with people. So it's simple, but it's a, it's a great, powerful tool for brands and people to be more incentivized to use their energy in different ways. So that's kind of our, our immediate launch. We're going to be standard across the built environment over the next five years. And then in 10 years time, we'll bring out a whole new suite of other technologies that will be complementary to the kinetic energy space and what we do. And maybe other renewables will be built into it because we understand people and cities and how people need to live in harmony together with their city. And I think there's a really big space for renewables to fill that void. So we're looking forward to that. And and I think society is moving forward as well, which should make the uptake a lot easier for us as well. Well, what an extraordinary business and what a phenomenal technology that you're leading with. Amazing. Thanks for being here today. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. It's been really fun. And I just want to say massive shout out to the, the work that the Camden Clean Air Initiative are doing as well. We hope to do some collaborations together down the line. That's all for this episode of Racing Green. Thanks for joining us. Racing Green is produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Chris Bristow, and Georgina McGiven in collaboration with the Camden Clean Air Initiative. It was recorded at Serendipity Studios, Camden, North London, with music and sound design by Chris Bristow.